Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, my kids, we were, uh, when Andre said that the kids could have a device with headphones, my kids were like, what? We could have brought a device. So next week, yeah, we can, we can only keep it from them for one week. Now the secret's out. Um, guys, it is so good to be with you today in this way. And so I just want to take a moment just to kind of look around and, and feel you. And uh, feel your, your presence, like feel it. I want to feel it. Feel your friendship. Feel our oneness in the Lord. Feel community. And I know that we have people tuning in online, and I just want you to know that we feel you too, that you're with us too, and we just, you know, these are just crazy times. And we're all having to adapt and adjust and pivot, and and it's really like a day-to-day, week-to-week type of thing in some cases. So thank you for your patience and understanding. And uh, just, I I hope if anything, if, if nothing else, I hope this time has been for us a a uh, reminder to not take church for granted and this special bond we share and something happens when we come together. Something that's outside of us, something that God is doing in us. And for me, I know that for us, for all of us, it's been about three months, probably feels like three years. For me, it's been about six months. I had sabbatical, and then I had COVID. So I've not been with you in this way, my family. We've not been with you in this way since December 30th of last year. So this is just a very special time for us. Uh, I wore a jacket to uh, commemorate that. So anyway, just so good to be with you. And I cannot say enough about how, how... I don't know if the word is proud or inspired or how much I admire our leadership, the board, the staff at this time, as they lead us through a very uh, difficult situation, not just in the COVID circumstance, but all the leadership transition and change and what God has next. So I'm just extremely, extremely thankful for these folks. Extremely thankful for you. And I could go on and on. I want to get into the scripture today. And so um, take your Bible, please, and meet me in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Last week we began uh, uh, a new series called Long Story Short. It's a 12-part series in which we're tracing the story of the Bible from beginning to end from Genesis to Revelation. And of course, we began with the account of creation uh, put forth in the opening chapters of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And by the way, if, if you take that statement right there, the opening statement in the Bible, if you take that statement right there and accept it, and believe it. Every single sentence that comes after in Scripture, you'll have no problem believing that and accepting that either. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible opens. And by the time we come to the end of chapter 2, everything is as it should be. God has made all things. It is good in His sight. He has taken His place in His temple, upon His kingly throne. Humanity is at peace with God, at peace with one another, at peace with creation itself. Everything is in such a wonderful place. What could possibly go wrong? You know, we all long for things to be as they're described in the opening chapters of Genesis. We long for relationships to be right on every front, don't we? We, we long for peace with the world. We long for peace with each other. We long for peace with God. And yet such an existence is so far from our experience. It's so far removed from our present experience. And, and we just have to ask the question, why? why? Why is this? What happened that caused such a dreadful turn of events? When the next chapter in our story helps to answer that question. Genesis chapter 3 is an obvious turning point in the story of Scripture. Things take a tragic turn here, a, a cataclysmic turn with catastrophic effects. As we will see, it was there in this garden paradise called Eden where a fundamental question was asked. The first humans, for the first time, had chosen against God. Sin had entered the world, and God himself, upon learning this, uh, after speaking first to the man, he turned to the woman and he asked, what is this that you have done? And that question, I think that question gets to the very heart of today's theme, and it moves the story from creation to catastrophe. This chapter recounts humanity's fall from the divine purpose for which we were made. It helps us understand why, uh, why the fatal effects of that fall are still so evident in our lives and in our world. And yet, amazingly, incredibly, it also brings hope, this chapter. Because as great as our fall was and is, God is greater still. So today I just want to consider our fall from glory and then God's glorious grace. Let's pray together, and then I'll read the whole of Genesis chapter 3. Father, we do thank you for this time we have this morning uh, in this way of, of re-emerging and coming together once again to feel one another, to be with one another, to enjoy each other's company. What a gift you have given in the church. You have given the gift of the church that we can share life and all of its ebbs and flows with one another as we grow and walk this path of faith and Christ-likeness and obedience, being spirit-led. So I just thank you for the, the, just the, the, the unique and special joy and privilege this morning 
Thank you that you've provided the means for us to continue to meet even with those who are at home, the online service. Thank you for technology in that way. We acknowledge that as a blessing from your hand as well. And we now ask as we turn our attention to your word as recorded here in Genesis chapter 3, would you please open us to its truth Speak to us, impress its truth upon us once again. I pray for each individual here and tuning in from home. I pray that, that you would minister to each one of us without exception and that you would bring, uh, that you would just touch all those nerves that need to be touched in us, that you would bring to our attention all the things that need to be brought to our attention, that you would comfort us in all those areas where we need comfort, that you would restore faith in all those areas where doubt is in play, and that you would bring hope and purpose and joy, your joy, may it come and just grip and seize our hearts and send us out from this place with gladness. We thank you for these things and more because of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, you, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, 
I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his, wife, his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, And the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, as with most stories, often there's a backstory that we're just not aware of at first. Such is the case here. The backstory goes something like this, and I'm paraphrasing uh, Skip Heitzig in his book, uh, The Bible from 30,000 Feet. At some point before the creation of the world, one of God's best and, and brightest angelic beings turned from serving him and rebelled. His name is Lucifer, and Lucifer's insurrection caused a monumental upset in the created order. Though, like all creation, he was created good and, and for the capacity, uh, with the capacity to do good, uh, his swollen pride got the best of him and became his downfall. He got cocky about his own beauty, about his own intelligence and position, and he wanted the kind of recognition that only God deserves. He rebelled. He assembled a mutiny and wanted to take what belongs to God alone. So God justly cast him out of heaven. Revelation 12.9 describes this when it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28 also allude to this event. Even Jesus, Jesus referenced this very event when he said in Luke chapter 10, I was there and I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So the devil fell from heaven and came directly to earth and he appears in the Garden of Eden sometime after God placed humans there, and, he, and his motives quickly become very clear. Whatever God loves, Satan hates. Whatever receives God's blessing, Satan aims to turn into a curse of some kind. 
whatever is the object of, of God's affection, Satan makes the target of his attacks. When God made Adam and Eve as the pinnacle of his creation and called them good, Satan immediately moved to destroy this unblemished, unhindered, intimate, uh, perfect in every way that you can think of relationship that those first humans shared with their maker. Satan came in the form of a serpent. And we know as we read the text... He was basically, by the end of it, he's, he's, he's basically a snake. As if my dislike of snakes wasn't already justified. And we come to Genesis 3 and it appears that we're listening in or, or, or observing a conversation that's already in progress. One between Eve and Satan. Adam is there too. And the topic of their conversation, it seems to center around two main things. The truth of God's command and the trustworthiness of God's character. God had placed Adam in Eden and provided for him every seed-yielding plant and tree. Numerous trees that were pleasing to the eye, all of which, each of which, Adam could eat. Adam was blessed to call Eden his home, to enjoy this garden paradise, to work it, to keep it. All was available to him. All was available to him with just one exception. Every single thing was open to him except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, the Lord said to Adam in chapter 2, verse 16, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. When God uh, created Eve, it's obvious to us that Adam must have relayed this information to Eve so that both the man and the woman were very, very aware of what God provided, as well as what God prohibited. The expectations were crystal clear. Every tree is yours, Adam. It's all yours. It's yours to enjoy as much as you'd like. Every plant and tree, as far as you can see. Every single one, except one. Now, why not the tree? of the knowledge of good and evil? Why would God plant a tree from which they couldn't eat? Especially one so pleasing to the eyes with such attractive fruit. And why place this tree in the middle of the garden where they're sure to see it often? Because this one tree served as a necessary reminder to them that they were not God. 
Made in the image of God, yes. The pinnacle of God's creation, yes. Greatly privileged by God, yes. But never intended to be God or live independently from God. By this one important restriction, God was maintaining the parameters of the creator-creature relationship, teaching that relationship with God is one where, where, where God is God and we are not. God gets to decide what's best, not us. After all, as history has shown time and again, we, we aren't good at distinguishing good from evil. So when Satan appears in chapter 3, he attacks this issue specifically, the command and character of God. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And notice here the twisting of truth. God never said they couldn't eat of any tree, just this one. And when Eve acknowledged that eating from the one tree would bring death, the devil replied, you won't die? Surely not. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And how many times have we heard those same sinister words whispered in our ears? These moments, as one author describes it, these, these are the moments when the devil taps into that deep anxiety within. Those fears that, that what I have is not enough no matter how good it is. Those deep insecurities that say, I am not enough. I need more. I deserve more. God is holding you back, Eve. Keeping you from being you. From stepping into your truest, fullest self. God's being selfish with you. How many times have we heard these same sinister words? God is being selfish with you, restricting you. God is lying to you. You will not die. How many times? In that moment of temptation, do we hear those same sinister words? It'll be okay. You will not die. No, 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 no. Eat. Both of you. Both of you eat. And then you'll know what it's like to truly live. For you will be your own God.
But they were as much like God as God intended, created by him in his image, in perfect symbiotic relationship with him, with one another, with the creation itself. They were co-regents with God as they exercised their God-given authority to care for creation. This was their great honor. This was their great dignity. God put Adam in the garden to work and keep it, and he walked with Adam there. They enjoyed time together, and whenever I read this, I think of projects I do with my kids, and you're one of my kids, and I just imagine imagine God teaching Adam how to work the garden. Can you picture this? God teaching Adam, no, 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 this, this is how you do it. This is going to yield even more fruit. And Adam enjoying that experience. They enjoyed each other. Eve also shared in the joy and work of creation. She and Adam were told to be fruitful and multiply, but Adam, Adam could never conceive or carry a child. That honor, that distinct privilege was reserved for the woman alone, for Eve only, for the woman only. God created them both, and each bore a different aspect of his image, even as we do, even as we do today with our various gifts and callings. God loved them. God cared for them. God was generous with them. Yet the devil focused on the one thing God prohibited rather than the thousand things God provided. How many times do we hear those same sinister words? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, to desired, to, to, was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So Eve's mistake, her first mistake was even engaging in conversation that questioned the character of God to even give the devil the time of day. And Adam's great mistake was sitting there, listening to this conversation unfold and doing absolutely nothing to stop it. Satan deceived the woman while Adam stood nearby, complicit in the exchange. And when they ate the fruit of that tree, the only tree off limits. The entire course of history changed forever. They had rebelled against their maker and as descendants of the first humans, every man and woman's uh, sense was born with the same proclivity. Born into sin with the same sin-stained nature. born with the sin virus coursing through our veins. And so what do we learn here just about ourselves and about sin and about the nature of sin? A few things. First, that sin is the refusal to trust God. Uh, At its core, sin is unbelief. It's failing to believe that God is good and that all that he does is good and that he intends good. In those moments of temptation, when lured by the lies of the devil, they lost sight of the goodness of God. Sin blinds us, doesn't it? It blinds us and makes us cynical. 
It makes us skeptical. We assume God is holding us back, keeping us from good things. When in fact, He is blessed beyond measure. And we learn also that sin is the breaking of relationship, not just the breaking of rules. Because they failed to believe that God is good and intends good, because they failed to value their communion with God in this way, it became easier for them to transgress the boundary established by God. Had they stopped, honestly, in those moments of temptation, put yourself there, had they stopped to just step back for a moment and remember how blessed they were to enjoy communion with God. How blessed they were as they looked around and saw thousands of trees God had given for them. I think things would have been much different. But when we think of God as a rule maker, only it's very easy to miss the relationship we learn that sin is willful willful disobedience to God You know, when God created humankind, he bestowed upon us the dignity of choice, which meant the possibility of wrong choices. So when we sin, we willfully choose against God. We refuse the hundreds of trees he so generously provides for the one tree of our own choosing. We turn from the incredible privilege afforded us by God for the imagined benefit we can earn on our own. We refuse the blessing of life with God for some momentary pleasure that promises one thing but never delivers. In those moments, we're, we're choosing the autonomous decision to say, I know what I need better than God does. As they stood before that tree, perhaps they were swayed by what looked good, what seemed good, even what felt good, what felt right at the moment. So even, think about this, even before they bit into the fruit. Even as they reached for it, they were already grasping for the authority that belongs to God alone. And we do the same. We so often do the same. Failing to reach for God, we grab at infinitely lesser things. This is what I need. God doesn't know. I know best. This is what I need. The fruit looks different today. 
It may be money, material things. It may be a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It may be our pride in our education or personal achievements or a whole host of idols, but you weren't created for these. You were created for so much more. To settle for anything less is to eat the forbidden fruit. Listen, sin isn't always, sin isn't always instead of God. Many times it's in addition to God. It's I want what God has provided plus what He has restricted or prohibited. I, I want it all. It's like the Israelites when they came out of Egypt after their deliverance from captivity. They erected an altar. Remember, they erected an altar to a golden calf because cows were worshipped in Egypt. But the altar of the golden calf didn't replace the altar of God. They didn't tear down the altar of God and put up the altar of the golden calf. They just put the altar of the golden calf next to the, to the altar of God and worshipped them both. And we do the same. We do the same. You see, failure to worship God doesn't mean that we cease to worship. It's just that we worship lesser things. We worship idols. And sometimes we do at the same time. We worship God and idols. Like those at the base of Mount Sinai. We've all bowed, if we're honest, I think we've all bowed before golden calves at one time or another. So here's what God wants to say to us, I think, this morning. Am I not enough for you? Like, am I not enough? Do you want me only if you get everything else too? Will you be satisfied in me? Will you put your trust in me? Will you trust me to do right by you? To know what's best for you? to work in your life in a way that brings about your ultimate good. Will you trust me? Am I not enough? Later in chapter 5, we learn that Adam lived 930 years. That seems like a nice, long life. And yet he died in that fatal moment in Eden. His relation to Eve, hers to Adam, was never the same. They blamed each other. They broke trust. Their relationship with God, once unhindered, was marred and broken as well, as was their place 
within the created order. But what I want us to, what, I, what I've really been attempting to do this morning is, is I want us to understand that this just, this isn't just about the fall, it's that we're still falling. Every time we choose against God, we fall from the blessing we were made to enjoy and experience. In their lust for autonomy, both of them lost the place and privilege they they were created to enjoy because sin brings death, always. Death physical, death spiritual, death present, death eternal, the, the death of relationships, the loss of life as God intended it to be lived. Sin, writes one author, is more than turning our backs on God. It's turning our backs on life. Paul said it this way, the Apostle Paul. He said, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin And so death spread to all because all sinned. Or this verse that I'm sure you're familiar with, also from Paul, also from Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. meaning short of the glorious purpose God intended for us. Short of the glory, the honor God bestowed upon us. We were already short of His glory. He's far more gloriful. Uh, uh, gloriful? He's far more than we are. Glorious, glorious, thank you. <laughs> We were already short of that. We were never intended to have that. And yet in his kindness, he bestowed glory and honor upon us. And we spit on it and kicked it and fell from it. Who could any of us have blamed God if he just pulled the plug at that moment? But thankfully he didn't. Thankfully the story doesn't end there. Thankfully not even Genesis 3 ends there. There is hope even in this chapter. God responds to Adam and Eve in their sin with mercy and grace. He is gracious in his judgment. He is gracious in his provision. He is gracious in his promise. God was gracious. Catch this. He was gracious in that he held them accountable for their wrongdoing. It may not, like, it may not seem gracious at first that he gave them consequences, but if he didn't, if there were no consequences for sin, we would never turn from it and return to the Lord. The consequences were in line with their, with their callings. Eve was the mother of humanity, but because of her disobedience, childbirth would now be fraught with pain and danger. Adam's blessing had been to work the earth, knowing that it 
wanted to produce for him. Can you imagine that? Like working the earth, knowing that the earth wants to please you. But now, the earth would fight back with thorns and thistles. It would still bear fruit, though. That's grace. Eve would still bear children. That's grace. And even though she and Adam were expelled from the garden while an angel guarded the the tree of life, that was an act of grace as well because had they eaten from that tree in their fallen state, they would have lived forever under the condemnation of their sin. So on the one hand, God's holiness means that there, that there is now separation between him and them as they were no longer allowed to occupy that sacred space they were made to enjoy. But on the other hand, God's love for them shows ongoing care and relationship with those he made. And so God provided for them. They tried to hide themselves. Can you imagine that? They tried to cover themselves. They hide themselves. I just picture them darting behind tree to tree, trying to dodge the gaze of God. Such a, such a, I just find it to be such a powerful illustration of how we still attempt to hide and how we, even as they covered themselves with fig leaves and made loincloths, how we still attempt to cover our shame in our own self-effort. We so often try to, when, when guilt sets in, when the shame sets in, we so often try in vain to make ourselves right again. But self-effort... Self-righteousness never draws us closer to God. It always pushes us further away. Graciously, though, God called out to them and drew them out from hiding. Uh, When to Adam, God said, where are you? I think it was an invitation to be found. It was God who clothed them, who took animal uh, skins and made garments of grace for them. A sacrifice was made, one that pointed to another ultimate sacrifice. In fact, the picture of God clothing them here, to me, as I thought about that again this week, to me, it brought to mind the picture uh, in the the parable of the prodigal son, how the father, the son goes out and just basically spits on his father, dishonors and disowns his father, finally comes to the realization, the error of his ways, returns to his father, and what's the father's response? Runs to meet him, jumps on his neck, squeezes him, kisses him, hugs him, loves him, says, bring the, the best robe, my very best robe, and let's clothe him. Such grace and love. As God clothes Adam and Eve, 
You can just imagine, kind of picture, put yourself in there, the tenderness of that moment as they're in their shame, they're in their guilt, and God comes up alongside them and clothes them. God didn't give up on them. He was gracious in his judgment, gracious in his provision, gracious in his promise. From the fall itself, he promised a savior who would come from the seed of the woman. From that point forward, there would be division between the woman's descendants and the serpent who was cursed by God. Yet in that precise moment from the garden itself, in the darkness of sin and death, we see the first light of salvation. To the devil, God said in verse 15, he, and I just notice here the personal pronoun, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God moves from talking about offspring in general to a specific person. And because we know, right, we know how the story eventually unfolds, we know he's talking about Jesus. Jesus would one day triumph over the devil and destroy the works of the devil, even at great cost to himself. Jesus will crush his head. But in so doing, would suffer. He would suffer. God, God has promised from the line of a woman, of the woman, a Messiah who would deal with sin and who would deal sin and Satan the fatal blow and make things right again. So, so as we come to the end of this chapter maybe maybe someone here maybe someone listening online maybe someone who will hear this in the car this week or someday down the road maybe maybe like Adam and Eve you're hiding from God today Maybe you're ashamed of things you've said or done or things you didn't say or do but should have. Maybe you're attempting to cover your own shame, cover your shame through your own self-effort. Trying like mad to give the appearance that it's all okay when it's not okay and you know it. What you need instead is to know that God is willing to forgive. In fact, he wants to. He is love and in his love he is full of grace and mercy. He is gracious in his judgment by calling sin what it is while calling you out from hiding. He is gracious in his provision for he has provided for you a savior 
in whose righteousness you can be clothed. And he is gracious in his promise because all who turn in repentance to entrust themselves to Jesus will be forgiven and restored again. The scripture declares, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. God is willing to grant new life today. Confess your need. Admit. Come clean before your maker. Stop trying to hide. Step out from the shadows. Receive his love, his mercy, his all-sufficient grace. Because as great as our fall was and is, God is greater still. Amen? Amen. Father, we are just so grateful. What can we possibly say in gratitude other than thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace all of which is poured out upon us in abundance. Thank you for your heart, for the desire to draw near to us, even in our sin, and rescue us from it. And if there be anything holding us back today, I pray that you would just break those chains and set us free in Christ. That we may know the joy of salvation and restored relationship with our maker. We ask these things and more in his great name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.